God's house said, Amen. 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 All right. All right. Hello, hello. Hey, guys. Uh, if you could just hold on with the youth for just a second. We're going to have a quick video for you for what was happening this week. And um, go check that out. And then we'll dismiss all the youth to go downstairs, okay? Fire it up. Yeah, it took, it, um, it did take a lot longer than that. <laughs> Thank you so much. And the reason we had one service today, as you may be wondering why we did one service today, is because of the unknown factors that we have always, and just before the service, even trying to fix some of our sound stuff that was going on over here. When we took everything out of here and platform up and all that stuff happening, we did have some, you know, things we had to deal with. So we were leaving the possibility of having to do some more technical work this afternoon after this service. And all of our people, our volunteers, don't ever forget that. They're not paid to do what they do. They're doing it for the Lord and for you. So a thank you and a, a appreciation is always a good thing for everybody involved. And so youth are uh, going downstairs. We have uh, the youth room's been redone as well, and there's a lot happening there, and it looks beautiful. You guys can get on out of here. I'm ready for you to leave. In a good way. I mean, you're good. Thank you for all you do and what you're doing. So any middle school through high school, head on down out of here. You can stay in here. I don't care, but it's just they have a class just for you. So thank you, everyone, for all your help, your donations for the new floor. Um, we will be finishing uh, the lobby later today. Uh, there's some another coating that's going to be going down in there, so we'll get that stuff out of the platform, uh, lobby area. And um, we do know that the baseboards aren't there. So a couple of people were asking me about that. Yes, it was a miracle to get this all done before today and have church in here, which is a God thing. And so thank you. Uh, yeah, it is. It's awesome. So thank you to Russ Hayes and to Miguel and his family. So Russ brought his machine in and helped us rip up the floor, which you could hardly see on that thing, but it made a big difference for our time. And Miguel and his family and their, their company that does the floors, they did a great job in getting it done. So I know that we're going to do the baseboards. It may be a while. What we're looking to do is the outside paint of the building. Everything's got to tie together. So we're waiting till we pick the color to cover the burgundy. It is going to be a brown color, so if you don't like brown, it's fine. You'll be over it in a little bit. <laughs> Nobody's going to notice the floor in two weeks. You'll just walk in like it was always that way, and you'll feel the same way about the outside. But it has to get redone. We're going to redo all that, and then we'll bring that color scheme in so everything in the building flows together. So that's what we're waiting on. Uh, we're also, the next thing before we do any of that is God has blessed us in so many ways from so many generous people giving to the Lord and his work. So our online um, system, we've been doing online services for many years, probably seven plus years. I don't even know how long we've been doing it. Thankfully, God had us prepared for the COVID uh, stuff. I almost said a different word there. Um, not a swear word, so don't go there with your mind. Um, 
It might be to some of you. It would have been to my mother, but it's not to me. Uh, so we'll leave that alone. Anyway, we were doing this. Uh, we had a donation given. Someone offered a matching grant of $20,000 to our church as we gave you a note, notice of, yeah, it's awesome. It, to match that for all of the upgrades for online worship because we are reaching people online and we have members now of our church in Washington, Texas, and California and people that tie in all around. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So saying that online, we love you. Um, so anyway, that, that matching grant was matched here by one of our family members. And so like within two weeks, we had $40,000 to upgrade that, not including the stuff that's here. So we will be changing all the lighting in here to help with that because uh, that's a major problem with it. If you notice, if you've ever watched online, sometimes our worship team look like the Smurfs. And sometimes, you know, like I look like a pumpkin, like uh, I've been with Donald Trump somewhere or something, I don't know, but it's, you know, it's like all that stuff will get fixed, uh, you know, and we're gonna have new lighting and new cameras. So that stuff's gonna come in here next because the money's in the account for those upgrades to happen. I'm telling you that because in the expenses of everything that's happened and all the stuff that's going on, as you know, with the up price of everything that you're dealing with, uh, some of that is impacting some of our uh, bidding as well for like painting and stuff like that. So if God moves on your heart to give a little bit more towards the painting of the outside of the building, you do that. But don't take away from your regular tithes because the bills are the same. I don't, I don't want to talk anymore about this. Things are happening. I'm grateful. God is good, and he is moving, and we appreciate you all very much and what God is doing here. I'm blessed to be your pastor. I asked uh, Mark and Lisa to come around and, and ask you to do a survey for me, the little QR code, and uh, that was from me personally for my dissertation. I am in the final days of my, well, I'm calling it my final days. I'm hoping... <laughs> of my doctoral dissertation uh, work. And so that survey is critical for me getting it done. I want you to know it's anonymous. Uh, so I don't even know who has done it or not uh, and what it is. So why we keep asking for that is because I have a minimum number to meet the requirements to do a dissertation work. And we haven't met that yet. I honestly expected to exceed that number by a lot. Um, but some of you are a little uh, afraid of something online or something. I'm not sure what the issue is, but I'm just, I mean, I'm saying this nicely. It's not a big deal, really. Uh, if you think that you're trying to hide your stuff from somebody, they already know it all. <laughs> Seriously. Do you think that they don't know who you are, what you got, and where you live, and all your stuff? Of course they do. I'm not doing that to you. Nobody else is. It's going into an account that is gonna not even have your name connected to it. I don't want your name connected to it because it'll mess up my dissertation. And I don't want you to do more than one. So if you wouldn't mind, those things are stuck up all over. Take you 10 minutes to do it. There's also a little thing telling you all these details. I'm not offering you money. I'm not offering you free coffee. I'm not offering you anything except the opportunity to have a chance to see where you are and what God wants to do in your life and where he'll take you. Because on the back end of this, I am writing a curriculum of discipleship to help us in our walk with God that we're gonna teach in the church and I'm hoping and praying that it will go way beyond our church to help us in our walk with Jesus because there's a lot of things out there that are, um, let me just say that there's a lot of generic faith stuff and we don't need generic. We need Jesus and we need the spirit of God in it and so the point of what we're trying to do is help us to grow in our faith by having a real relationship that is daily with our God. 
And so that is the key of what we're looking to do and accomplish for him. So that's all I'm asking. Not, again, I don't even know who did it or didn't. I'm just assuming the majority of you didn't because of the number I have. <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> it's okay if you don't want to help me. We're, we're going to keep moving along. So next week, remember, we're back to our normal schedule, which means 9, 15, and 11, or was it 9 and 10, 45? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right. So I was thinking about changing that right now, but we'll, we'll move on right now. Let's do it. Change is a good thing. So the mess, the, as we were singing in the worship, you know, I get so blessed. God's so good, man. And you guys are maybe a little bit of trouble. We don't have service after this one, but let's just stay on task here and say that as we were singing and like listening to what God's saying and the message that he's already spoken into my heart, I'm like, man, God, you're awesome. Talk about those being in the fire and the different things. And it's like, man, the spirit of God is amazing. So when the topic of a message changes after a few weeks, you know, like we've been on kind of, um, not kind of, God's been speaking of challenge to us about the fact that there's an opportunity for a national revival in this country. There is. God's bigger than any of this stuff. Good grief, man. Seriously. I mean this very respectfully. I don't care about our politicians. I care about their soul. I care about the, the, the fact that they're, every human being has an eternal soul, and Jesus died for them. And they need to hear the good news. And it's up to us, church, to live and be that good news. So again, I don't want to go back there. This is what we've, we've been seeing God speak and challenge us to this. So when the message changes today to a different like, venue of where we're going, doesn't mean that that becomes irrelevant. That means God's been laying a foundation for something in us that we can build our faith up on. And then he wants to deal with us on a personal level that will help us to be able to live an obedient life to see what he wants to do come to pass. Okay, so here's the deal. Somebody came to me, like I have believed and preached that God is gonna, there's gonna be a move of God. I know there is. There is coming a move of God. What I mean by a move of God uh, is people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and their life being transformed and changed. And when I mean a move of God, I'm saying like it's gonna be big. I believe that. And I have preached that for many years because God planted that in my heart. And I know who God is, and I believe wholeheartedly that's going to happen. That doesn't mean everything is going to be wonderful as we go forward. Because it might be the difficulties that make the move of God happen. And so I say, God, bring on the difficulties. I'm not saying that lightly. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I want ease and a move of God. But they don't really work together that very well here. All you got to do is read the Bible, and you know they don't really go hand in hand together, do they? And so we need a move of God. So as the, the topic and the message changed, and God was dealing with us on different stuff, I had a person come to me and said, do you still believe a move of God is coming? I'm talking about this was several years ago this person came. I said, of course I do. He said, you don't talk about it anymore. I'm like, well, I mean, we can't talk about everything every Sunday and continue in the same thing. I believe it with all my heart. Church, the way that a move of God can and will happen is when our obedience to living the Christian life opens the door for God to do what he wants to do. We are the key to God doing what God wants to do. We do understand that, right? The will of God. Revelation 3, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
He wants to come in, but he won't open the door or bust it in. Remember, he says, if you hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in. See, he's ready. He's standing there knocking. And church, don't ever forget that that message was to the church. Not to the world, the church. He was specifically talking to the church. And therefore, we need to open the door to allow Jesus to come in and do what he and he alone can do. And that door is open by you and I being obedient, surrendered to him. So I got to say those words again. <laughs> Surrender, trust, and obedience. It's the key to everything, and you'll have it the rest of your life. I want you to remember what God's word says to us today and what he's saying. Ready? Um, let's read some scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. So we're going to just pause for a second. We're going to keep reading there in 2 Peter, but it's important for us to stop here because now that we are living in a post-Christian culture in America, there's some things that we as a church need to understand about the truth of God's word. And what we see here in a couple of things that we are reminded of as the apostle Peter writes by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to the Christian church. He's reminding the church God created everything. He made it all. You know how when you look at the, the globe and you see all the waters and you see how the continents could fit back together? God's the one that did all this. And God's the one that separated them and allowed the waters to surround them. It's written in Scripture. All you got to do is read your Bible. Long before any of our scientists ever knew anything, they never saw the whole planet. God said it. It's been recorded in history long before we ever had the knowledge of all this because God is the one who did it. It's there for us. All we have to do is open up our eyes and see the truth of God's word, what he says, and who he is. He made everything, okay? Now, he also reminds us and shows us something. God has already judged the earth one time. The entire earth flooded. There's evidence of a flood everywhere. They're always trying to, they, I'm saying, those that don't believe in God or the word of God, they're always trying to justify why they find like shells in the mountains and different I'll tell you why the Bible says God flooded the earth that's what happened they're going to find that stuff because it was all underwater again because God said he would do it and he did it can we just pause for a second and realize this this is what the word of God tells us now that God brought this judgment upon the earth because people had turned their back on him were not being obedient were doing their own thing by the way this is prior to the law they knew they were to worship God right from the very beginning. And it was the responsibility of every parent and grandparent. As Justin read in our text here, everyone was to pass on the faith to one generation to another. Yeah. 
Well, you know, when God flooded the earth, he only had eight people saved from that. See, God doesn't grade on a curve. He's not like one of these no person left behind things. God's got a standard, folks. And I mean, I'm being totally serious. See, God's got a standard, and he's not going to lower it by any means for anyone. Jesus gave his life. Therefore, he demands a life in return. And if a life isn't given, then a life will be required. That's God. Like it or not, this is who he is. But this cool thing happened, and this is why it's really important for me to share this moment right here with you. When God flooded the earth, and everything died that was on it except the eight, and the animals in the ark, and all that took place, and then it was over with, and there was the newness. Just like, you know, you walked in, you just smell the newness in here. I love that smell. That's so amazing. It's like everything's new. It's nice. Okay, that's the way the planet was. And God was like, I can breathe again. All that mess is cleaned up. It's all gone. He says, I want to give you something to remember that I am God and I am a God of my word. And he put a rainbow in the sky for the very first time. Because you see, before the flood, it never rained on the earth. Water came from underneath. And in the, in the uh, whatever that stuff is that I had back in Michigan that we don't have here, like fog and stuff that comes down, <laughs> dew on the ground, you know? All right, so God watered the earth the way he had designed it in the beginning. But when the flood broke, it broke everything loose. And rains came. So then God put that rainbow in the sky to say, I will never destroy the earth again with a flood. He was very specific. And that's not going to happen again, right? So isn't it interesting that the, the enemy would take that symbol of God's promise and use it to celebrate something that flies in the face of God's creation? But see, there's many in this generation that don't even know that God put the rainbow in the sky as a promise. Because they don't know what God's word says. Nobody's told them. There's many people that are adults that even attend church that don't know that. It was God himself. And every time I see a rainbow, it's like, oh, it's like, that's awesome. Thank you, God. So now as we look at this, let's continue reading because it's important for us to continue to see what God does say to us. And I am going to reread the fifth verse just so you hear it in the context of where we're going. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So before I read the next verse, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door many years ago and see in their false faith, and I have no problem calling it a false faith because it is. If it doesn't align with Scripture, it's not truth. And you don't add another book, Mormon friends, to the Bible. God's word is God's word, and he says so. And I'm not being disrespectful. I will call the word of God out 
every time. Listen to me. When there was a person standing at my door and they were indoctrinating a young person standing there telling them what to say to me in their attempt to convert me to Jehovah's Witness believing, I said, uh, you know, let me, let me have you open your Bible to something because, see, they were told there's 144,000 are the only ones going to heaven and the rest are going to inherit the earth, right? That's their belief system. So I said, why don't you turn in your Bible right here to 2 Peter chapter 3. I used his Bible in front of him. I said, look what that says right there. This earth is going to be destroyed with a fire. I don't want to be here, do you? <laughs> I'm like, dude, <laughs> we got to face reality here. You're not staying here, and if you are, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're going down. All right, I'm saying, like, let's see what God's word says, folks. Seriously, look at what the word of God says. And that's why when we say God's word will always bear witness to itself in truth. And if we're confused about something, we're confused. God's word is not. Listen to the word of God. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord really isn't being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly people, godly lives you should live. Sorry, let me reread that. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of the Lord and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking toward, forward to the new heavens and the new earth God has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. Amen. Okay, so God's word is truth. Church, we need to understand that, and somebody needs to fix my notes back there right now. Okay, thank you. Um, it will come to pass, and I mean everything God says will come to pass. Time is meaningless to an eternal God. All right, you and I struggle with that. Absolutely, I know I do, Okay. So when we try and put the perspective of time being meaningless to God, when sin and death entered the world, time began in you and I. And what happened was, death entered the world, the ending of our lives as we know them. And therefore, when we were conceived, a clock was placed over our head and it was running down. God and God alone only knows how much time you have left. If we walked around, you know, have you ever seen those little programs with that stuff? Like, if we had a little clock running over our head and everybody else could see and we couldn't, <laughs> it's like, you, 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 please come to the altar right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Drop a check on your way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so anyway, see, as we consider this then, and since 
that moment began with this. The paradox we struggle with is the fact that God breathed eternal life into us. And therefore, we are eternal. But when sin entered, death entered, and the physical dies, the spirit is given from God and will live forever. Forever. And here's the weird paradox that's happening within my soul, which is Dave, me. I feel young and alive and eternal. Like death isn't real to me. The end isn't real to me because it's not. But my flesh is like, dude, you're dying. <laughs> you're not the same. <laughs> Look a little closer in the mirror. Step back. Go ahead and climb that mountain. Go do some of the stuff you used to be able to do. The body's saying, you're dying. The spirit's saying, I'm alive. So this struggle within us is in every human being. And when we're still young in our body, we have that eternal perspective so that we don't even care about nothing else except the moment. And that screws us up. It does. Because it's then in those moments that we do stupid things. That later we realize we're stupid things. Because our body says, that was dumb, that was dumb, that was dumb. <laughs> You remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember that now, right? So we're being reminded as we get older. So as we get older, we're supposed to get smarter. I said supposed to. So we're looking at this thing, and it, it's like, man, as life is speeding by, and it's like crazy. The older you get, I, I used to hear old people all the time, man, it's so, everything's so fast. And I'm like, dear God, please make it go fast. I want to get out of this school. <laughs> <laughs> And I felt like life was crawling at a snail's pace. And I don't know what happened. I remember that little turbo snail movie thing. I don't even, I don't even know if I ever watched it, but it's like all of a sudden, you know, he got nitrous oxide, you know, like when I graduated and all of a sudden here I am and I'm like, how did that happen? What in the world? And so in that time frame where things are going, I've been praying and talking to God about some stuff. And I'm like, Lord, you know, like, I've been talking to you about this for a long time. It's probably been a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really was expecting some action on this. On your part, because I can't do it. So, God, my faith is intact. I'm knocking. You told me you're going to do it. I'm expecting you to do it. Now do it. And I'm asking you. Now, I asked you yesterday. I'll ask you again tomorrow, but I'm expecting it now. And so when it, God does stuff, it seems so slow and you know I have to be careful how I say this because he's God and I'm not and I do want him to hurry a little bit on a few things I still got those offers up there for him <laughs> like yeah you can hear me you know, he's like hey listen this is the word of God this is what he says in that right verse we're just going to reread it again the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people Dave think <laughs> no He's being patient for your sake. Really, this is for me? <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's for others. But you see, the deal is, is that we think God needs to do what we need in our life immediately when God's actually doing stuff in other people's lives and he needs us to be patient in the meanwhile. But I want him to do both. <laughs> Hurry up for me and be patient with them. <laughs> 
See, God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent, and so he's patient with us. And so I know that this scripture is referencing the end. I know that. I'm not taking it out of context, and I'm not changing the meaning when we talk about this today. But what we learn from this passage is that the heart of God in his seeming delayed response to things is his patience and his mercy and his desire for people to come into relationship with him. And that's some of us. See, God knows what he's doing. And he knows when it's the right time to do the right thing. We've often read this scripture from Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is ascending into heaven. I'm only going to read one portion of that to help us as we continue down this road and what God is saying to us and what he wants us to focus on. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So you see where their mind is? Do you hear that, church? I want us to hear this. They've just watched the ministry of Christ. They saw him die on the cross. They have now witnessed his physical resurrection. He's alive. And he's been with them for 40 days in and out, doing miracles, showing himself, knowing, revealing the truth of what God says in his word, speaking to them, and they're still focused on their life. They're still focused on the political environment they're living in. Hello. Church, they were. They were like, are you going to set us free from these oppressors? Listen to him. This is Jesus. And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. Just chill out and guess what? Wait. See, now as we look in the Word of God and listen to what he says, See, the biggest thing to help us in our um, perception of God's lack of speed or response time to us and our agenda is maybe our agenda is the problem. And what we're trying to do is God to make our stuff work instead of us doing his agenda and making his stuff work. And so when we're asking God to do certain things, I'm asking you, church, as we listen to that, are you making your life plans? Do you have a plan for your life? And if you do, what does that plan look like from God's perspective? And is he the one that is orchestrating it, or are you? Like, he, he's not waiting for you to submit your plans to put a stamp on it and say, okay, I'll go with that. But oftentimes, that's the way we as Christians, I'm not talking about the world, that's the way we live our lives. Our prayer life involves me telling God what my plans are, what he needs to do to be involved in it, and how it needs to come out at the end, because I have a goal. I have a plan. And in my plan, this is how it ends. And every one of us has a plan that it's like, good, better, best. I mean, wouldn't that be the way it is? Right? And, and the good, better, best, our plan as we submit it to God is, I want something tangibly better in my life. I want things to be smoother and easier. I mean, I want that plan, don't you? <laughs> Isn't that the way we look at it? So we're looking at the ways that we can accomplish our agenda. And God's like, do you realize that I have a plan for your life? And it may not look like that, but it's still my plan. Are you going to follow my ways or not? 
So maybe, just maybe, the, the delay in God's response to our prayers, the lack of activity of God that we see or don't see because we're looking for something is the fact that you're not even on God's page. We're not even in the same universe, so to speak, spiritually speaking. All right. When God was warning the people of Judah that his judgment was coming, remember we've been talking about this. This does tie back into what we were showing here as God destroyed Israel with Assyria in 722 BC. Then he brought the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, to destroy Judah. Prior to the destruction of Judah... We looked at some of the prophets speaking to the people and warning them about what was coming. One of those prophets that we didn't talk about yet was Habakkuk. All right? Now, when God was warning the people of Judah that it was coming, and he specifically told Habakkuk, I'm bringing the Babylonians against you. God was like, uh, you know, I'm bringing them, and Habakkuk's like, oh, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Not those guys. I know them. They're evil. They're wicked. They don't follow you. And it's literally, if you look in your Bible, it says, Habakkuk complains to God. That's one of the headings right there. He's like, God, it can't be. That's not the way this goes. You're holy. We're your people. They're heathens. Uh uh. So listen. This is, this is God. See, when he spoke to Habakkuk about this, and he complains to God about these people and who they are, and they're going to think it's their God that's defeating you, remember? You know how we kind of twist things? They're going to think their God's bigger than you are, God. He's like, I'm the one doing this, and I'm letting it happen. But see, the thing is, is that here's Habakkuk in Judah, in a land of wickedness, and he even gives a little writing about the fact that it was so bad that he couldn't stand what was happening politically, culturally, all the evil that was happening was real. <laughs> now, when God's up to something, God's up to something, church. So check this out. It's so cool, isn't it? That God had plans for both peoples, his people and the heathen people. God had a plan that he was working See, those heathen people didn't know who he was because they were following false gods. But what God planned was something very unique because when the Babylonians came against Judah and laid siege against it, the first thing they did was ask them to surrender and Judah had to surrender. When they surrendered, they took in the elites, like all the smart minds and all the good-looking people and they brought them back and he began to teach them. And guess who was involved in that? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Right? men of God the few that were faithful to God in the land of Judah were taken captive to a pagan land so in the midst of all this look what happened was they stood for God in their faith in spite of the fact that they were now living in a heathen place no longer in their own home having the comfort of their own life see God had a plan and it didn't go according to what Habakkuk thought and probably a lot of other people thought. It would have been God coming in and saving the day. Well, God was going to save the day and God was doing something because we know the story, right? We know that when that arrogant king, Nebuchadnezzar, had everybody wanting, he wanted everybody to worship him. 
You can't worship nobody else but me. I'm putting up this statue. You're going to bow down to me, everybody. And there they were standing like, mm, God says we can't do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel must have been somewhere else because he didn't bow either, but he wasn't involved in this story. They stood in the midst of all the bowing that was happening. And he called them in, right? You know the story in Daniel? Hey, guys, you know, maybe you didn't hear me. You got to bow. They said, look, king, live forever and all that good stuff, but listen, we're not going to bow. Our God says that we can't and we won't. The, the thing I love about these guys is like, you know, we know that our God can save us from your judgment if he wants to, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. You hear that attitude, church? You see that? It's like, if I got to die, I'll die. I'm not, I'm not bound. I'm not going against what God says. We also know the story. They threw him in the fire. The guys that threw him in died from the heat, and there they were walking around having a party with Jesus. Yeah. The king looks in there. Hey, didn't we throw three in there? He's looking down, there's four. And the one looks like the son of a God. Guess what he is? They come out, and he's like, whoa, you guys serve the real God. He made a declaration to the peoples that there was the real God. So this pagan people in this land heard the message. Well, that guy was so arrogant and full of himself that he ended up getting all cocky with himself again, right? And then Daniel's like talking to him and he has this dream and Daniel goes and says, hey, King, I just want you to know God's going to send you in the field. You're going to live seven years like a wild animal. You won't have your mind. Your nails are going to grow like the, the claws of an eagle. You're going to have your hair grow looking like a lion. You're going to live out there and the dew's going to fall on you. You're not going to have your right mind for seven years because of your arrogance and you need to repent. And the king walks out in the balcony some days later and looks out. Look at this amazing kingdom that I down he goes. Seven years he's in the field. God's good to his word. Church, all you got to do is look in history for Babylonia, and they will give you, in their own history, there's this unknown period of time for seven years where the queen ruled Babylon. Huh, I wonder how that fits in there. After seven years, Nebuchadnezzar looks up, and God restores his mind, and he goes, Whoa! You're is a God, and you're it. Church, I'm telling you that because on the face of a siege, Habakkuk's standing back like, can't happen, God, no. And God's like, I'm doing something. I'm doing something so far beyond you. You don't have an understanding? Or Listen, let's continue to read here. Habakkuk, it's pretty awesome. I will climb, this is Habakkuk talking, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So you hear that? He's like, I'm going up on my platform and I'm watching because I'm expecting God to do something because I've just made a point to him. They're heathen, we're not. I'm going to watch because the Babylonians are out there and I'm sure God's going to do something amazing. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place, and it will not be delayed. Huh. 
Isn't that crazy that God's the same throughout history? <laughs> Never in a hurry. Always good to his word. And he's always got a plan. <laughs> he did not even acknowledge Habakkuk's complaint. He's like, I'm doing something. You need to write this down on stone because it's going to be needed to be known in the future that I am good to my word. <laughs> so here we go. God says, like, um, you're going to think this is slow. You're going to need to be patient. It's going to happen. So now I look at my life and I'm like, I'm guilty. <laughs> like, I mean, I have expected God to do stuff long, long ago. But now listen, church, all we have to do is stop and look in the word of God. God promised to Abraham that a son would be given and that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him, right? God promised that to Abraham. He had one son of the promise through Sarah, Isaac, one. Isaac had Jacob. He had Esau too, but Jacob. And later God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, tribes, and the nation was born. God refined his promise down into the tribe of Judah. And he promised that that Messiah Savior, that one that would come, would come through that tribe. Now, as you travel through this and you look, God then narrowed it down from Judah to David's lineage. Now, when we look at all this, it was approximately, and I say approximately, give or take a couple years, but it's right in this window, 955 years from the death of Abraham to the birth of David. <laughs> Almost a thousand years. God's promise like, hey, everybody, slow your roll. I'm doing what I said on my time. Wow, that's crazy. Because it's approximately 960 years from David's death to the birth of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years. Just like that. <laughs> Did you hear me? Just like that, to me and you, it's like we're looking at history. It's like you can read a verse and like 500 years passed. Matter of fact, there's 400 years of silence between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first writings in Matthew over here where God spoke the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. There was 400 years where God didn't even talk to his people. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I've been asking you for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, feel that little bit of conviction weighing down? Listen, man. So it's been on like 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. And we're all of a sudden, because of our life circumstances, we're like, it's the end, it's the end. No, I'm not being disrespectful. Listen to it, church. Listen to God's word and what he's doing. So when we go back into that scripture and I see what God does, he's like never in a hurry. And we're the one with the clock. And we're always trying to hold God to our clock. Galatians 4, 4 says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, 
born of a woman. The right time. What was that? Oh, God's time. Oh, it wasn't our time. It wasn't because of where we were in history or what was happening. You know, all the Jews looking for him. Every male that was born, they were like, is this the one? Seriously, that's what they were doing. Is he the one? For after a while, they just like, you know, nope, no. Pretty soon it's just like, is it ever going to happen? No. People are like, probably not. Remember this. We read these verses here, church. But you not, must not forget this one thing. Second Peter 3, 8, right? A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. So God's timing is perfect. And it's God's clock and calendar that matter, not mine and yours. And so when you put it in the perspective of an eternal God, it's been four days since he talked to Abraham. You follow that? Like, think about it. It's not like literal. God's not saying, well, it's like equal to a thousand years is one day. That's not what he's saying. Peter's speaking to us, trying to give us some kind of a way for you and I to grasp an eternal God with time not limiting him. And so like in the eternal perspective, it's like four days ago, God was there on the mountain talking to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, look around you. I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to bring up a nation from you. I'm going to have one that comes that will bless all nations. Right? Four days ago. What were you doing four days ago? You know what I mean? Like, think about it. And like, you know, three days ago, David was king and everything was amazing. Two days ago, Jesus was here giving his life for us. And now we're like, it's over. This is the end. God, it's got to be the end because everything says it's the end. It's amazing how we put God into our life expectancy. This is why I tell people, like, people have asked me about my perspective of the end times. I was raised like most of you. I believed that we were living in the last days. I didn't even think I'd get a driver's license because I heard so much about the end of Jesus, of the end of time, and Jesus is coming. I didn't think I'd ever get to drive a car. So I started driving when I was 14, just in case I missed out, you know? (laughs) I wasn't supposed to, and I wasn't following Jesus back then, just letting you know right now. So I'm saying, like, you know, as you you go back there, and I mean, I heard so much about it, you know, the... um, Man, I can't even remember the name. The first movie before the, you know, not that series that came out. I don't know that one either. I'm not a big movie guy. Uh, let's just leave that alone so I don't confuse you and get you off track. But anyway, the fact of the matter is it was so preached all the time that I believed it was happening. And what I was told was there would be a pre-tribulation rapture. The ra- uh, then the tribulation of seven years was going to come. And then Jesus was going to return and set up a millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and then the final would happen, right? That's what I was taught. So I was raised to believe all that. Now, if you weren't, I'm glad you weren't, because I think there's a lot of errors in all of that. Once I got to know God and his word and began to look at things and see what he says to us, I'm like, you know, that'd be nice. I'm, I'm praying for that one. <laughs> I'm in the pre-tribulation rapture. I'm all in. Like, God, call me out. I'm ready for that. I don't even have to face death that way. Just yank me out of here and set me free. You know, and let's not face all this. No, the fact of the matter is throughout history is people went through hard stuff. You can believe whatever you want. I don't care. I don't mean that disrespectfully. 
But this is what I tell people. I don't preach a lot about the end times because, honestly, I, and then being honest with you, and you can think I'm crazy, I don't care. It could be another thousand years or more. Absolutely. See, like, God's calendar doesn't work around the stars, stripes, and, you know, all that. You know, it's not about United States. Sorry. I'm grateful to be here, and I'm thankful for our freedoms, but, I mean, God's calendar does not hinge on the United States of America. He knows what he's doing. And we may not even be in existence in any way, shape, or form when all of it goes down. He's not in a hurry. I mean, all we've got to do is look at what he does. He's not in a hurry. Do you know how long it took for Noah to build the ark? Anybody, just say, yell it out. 120 years it took him to build that ark. They lived longer than us back then. And God shortened it afterwards because he's like, man, these people are jacked up and they really screw things up. <laughs> I mean, that's not the original Hebrew, but that's exactly what he said. He's like, we got to shrink this down because these people are way out of hand, right? So it took 120 years for that boat to get built. God was saying it was going to rain. It had never rained before. So just think of Noah and his family building a boat on land and how stupid they looked to everybody around them. For real. I mean, like, why are you building a boat right there? And what are you guys doing? It's going to rain. It's going to what? Water's going to fall from the heaven. They're like, whoo, these dudes are crazy, man, you know? <laughs> God's good to his word, man. Them clouds started building, and they're like, what's going on? And then the rain fell, just like God said, in his timing. But God could have got a boat together fast if he wanted to. You know what tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jonah was a preacher of righteousness? That means the whole while he and his family were building the boat. They were warning people. It's coming. It's coming. 120 years of saying it's coming. It did. But think about the heart of Noah and his family around year 80. <laughs> Man, I'm getting tired. This boat's not built yet. I haven't seen a cloud. In this, you know what I'm saying? Us, I'm talking about me and you, right? Anyway, we're running out of time, so let me move on. So we know the gestation period of animals, humans, and all that, right? We know all this stuff. You all know that I, you know what, we, I had my mare bred I wanted to be there. I bought her as a baby. I didn't get to see her be born. I bought her before she was born. Drove up there. She was still three hours old. So I was like, I want to be there when my baby's, you know, my, my little filly's born. I didn't know it was going to be a filly. The baby was born from my horse. So she was in my yard, our yard, in the, right over on Speedway. She's there. I'm like watching her. So you know, there's like, I read everything you could read about knowing the timing of a birth. And I watched every sign because there's signs. And they're real. And then I'm like trying to balance that out with my patience that I'm really good with. <laughs> checking her every day. In that gestation period of time, I'm checking her every day. Okay, so I come out on, the, well, March 1st, she was born at about 3 in the morning. So the night before, whatever, I don't remember. All I know is this. I went out and... Her udder had filled with milk, and they had waxed like they say they will. And they're telling you, like, within 48 hours, she's going to give birth. Okay, so I'm like, 
and know it. It's coming. So the other thing is, one of the other signs, there's a lot of them, but I'm just going to give you this one here, is like the tail on the horse, like they can't control it because God's amazing, man. He's so amazing. All those muscles have to let go, and they have to just have no control of those muscles. They just, isn't that incredible how evolution did this for them? that all of a sudden all those muscles would relax and they'd have no ability to tighten them because it has to open up to let, you know, an 80 to 100 pound baby come through. It's I'm like, oh, I'm hurting, man. <laughs> I love you. I kept apologizing to her for the last month. I'm sorry I did this. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so if <laughs> my wife said, you didn't do that for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, what well, you had to say so in that one, this one didn't. All right, but anyway, so like if you grab, the, let's stay on course here. All right, so if you grab the tail, like on any horse, it will clamp like down, you know, like don't touch that. Protection. So one of the signs is when she doesn't clamp her tail, it's time because that means she's lost control of those muscles. So I go out to her, I see the milk, I see all this, and I'm like, touch her tail and clamps right down I'm like all right Dave it's not today just chill out go to bed just sleep through the night everything's fine it's probably tomorrow nope she just waited for me to go to sleep <clears throat> I literally I'm not joking I woke up at three in the morning and I'm like I should go check on her and I'm like Dave you need to stop relax and stay in bed there's no reason you checked her tail. I got up at four to go out and feed, and there it was. I'm like, oh, all that stuff, all that waiting, all that time, all that preparation, and there it was. Church, now I'm telling you that because you see, this is exactly what God's telling us. He's like, there's all these things. I show you who I am and what I do. You can think you got everything figured out, but you don't know nothing. It's going to happen when I say so. That's why he tells us it's going to catch us unprepared. With everything we think we know, we're still going to be caught off guard. <laughs> Another reason I'm thinking, like, probably not happening right now, because everybody thinks it is. <laughs> so this is the psalmist, and I'll be done here. I apologize. Let's listen to what he says. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We're merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Help us, Lord. Isn't it amazing? God's so good, isn't he? Here's the last, this is our action steps, and we're done. So somebody asked me about kneeling on the floor. You can kneel on the floor. It's actually, to me, softer than the carpet. But if you come forward to the altar, you're welcome to sit on it. You don't have to kneel down there if you don't want to. I mean, God wants you all on the altar anyway, so I'm telling you, I give you permission to put your all on the altar. Sit your butt down. The idea is for us to come to him, right? Right where he is. 
whatever you need to do and God is talking to you, it's time. Like, let's get on his agenda. God's plan, not ours. Let's stop seeking him to move the way we want him to and begin to move the way he wants us to. Today's the day, church. It's this moment God's given us. He's calling us to wait on him, to be patient with him as he has been so patient with us. He is an amazingly patient God, and he loves you. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the power of your word, the truth that is there. We know our life is fleeting, God. We know it. It's happening right before our eyes. And God, as we expect a move of God, we understand that's in your time. We're just asking if we could possibly be part of it, see it, experience it, maybe even cause it because of our surrender to you. <laughs> Lord, we don't pray this lightly. It's like, whatever it takes, God. God, whatever it takes. We need a move. We need your spirit to stir hearts and there needs to be a move of repentance, surrender. God, help us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Yes. If you're at the altar and you need to stay, you stay. Yeah, you give God a hand, man. He's amazing, isn't he? Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.